morning, church. Please stand. Lord, we're so grateful to be here this morning in your presence. We thank you for the amazing works you've done in our lives and that you're continuing to do. And we come laying down all of our cares at your feet, not leaving them at the door, but bringing them to you, Jesus. And we come with expectant hearts to see you move in our midst and in our communities and in our world, Lord. In your name we pray.
that's are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.
Open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Children. Children. Let us pray for the children before they go off to Sunday school. Good morning, sir. Gentlemen. (laughs) And ladies. you would stretch out your hands and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask you to watch over each one of these young children, Lord Jesus. Fill them with wisdom and courage and strength and your spirit, Lord Jesus, all their days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning's first lesson comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning at verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he Foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, Psalm is Psalm 116. We will read it responsibly by the asterisk. I love the Lord. Because he has inclined his ear to me. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. 
Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, God the Lord preserves the simple. Return to your rest, O my soul. For you have delivered my soul from death. I will walk before the Lord. I believed, therefore I spoke. I said in my haste, What shall I render to the Lord? I will take up the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will pay my vows to the Lord. In the courts of the Lord's house. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Morning. Second reading comes from First Peter, chapter one, starting at verse thirteen. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known these things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven who, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we pray this morning as we come before you that you would unfold the truth of your word. Unfold all these things that Scripture says concerning you. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, set them awake, that they may burn within us as we learn the truth of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had an interesting meeting this week uh, at CVCS, uh, Capistrano Valley Christian Schools. Some of you go there. Some of you know what it is. They wanted to do an outreach to the local churches and have some pastors come and meet. And they have a buddy of mine, uh, Dr. Sean McDowell, who's going to talk about this new generation, right? Gen Z and how to reach the newest generation. And the one thing that stuck out with me, there was a really fascinating conversation. It was less of a lecture and more of a back and forth. But one thing that stuck out to me and that has been all over the news and the media is this new survey that says that for the first time, in recent history, uh, more people claim to be nuns 
when it comes to their religious affiliation. You know, you give them a bunch of options and they click none or scribble none into the box, then claim to be Christian or claim to even have faith at all. 48% of this newest generation, supposedly, marked the box for none. The vast majority. And that's something to think about, right? We are living in a world that is different than it used to be. But, let me just remind you, it's the same as it has always been. In fact, when you look back to the early disciples who just suffered the death of their Lord on a cross by the government, right? The government came in and it took their taxes and they're so mad. No, the government came in and crucified their Lord. And if you were to give a religious survey, the number of Christians would have numbered on both hands, maybe a couple, you could do a few dozen, maybe. And yet we see statistics like that. And sometimes our reaction is to panic. Oh, this godless world, this godless culture. There's nothing you can do or believe to make this a godless world. Let me tell you that. God is everywhere. And the story today about these disciples of Jesus who knew the story of Jesus' life but didn't believe can be hope for us. Because there's a lot of people in our world who know the story of Jesus' life but their eyes are closed and they see him not. So as we talk through this, I'm going to be talking to us, right? But I want us to be thinking about them. I want us to be thinking about all those people in the world who don't know the joy of our salvation. It's truly good news. And yet we treat it like it's our shameful secret. You know, I was joking with somebody the other day who was like, oh, you know, this lady at my work and knew I was a Christian and she came up to me and she was encouraging me and she was like, oh, you know, I've been praying for you. And I was like, shh. She was embarrassed to have like it known among her coworkers, you know, and I, I, I hear stories like that and I have my own inclinations to try and keep these things hush, hush. I don't want to deal with the implications of, I'm a Christian existing in the world. I want to encourage you to remember that these people, everyone in the entire world is built by their loving creator with a need, not just a desire, but a need to be loved and saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. And even as I preach this message that, like I said, it's really to us, but we need to be transformed for them. Because they need to know that Jesus not only died, but actually rose again. And that's what we're dealing with this morning as we look at the road to Emmaus. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So first of all, these are disciples of Jesus, probably in the 70, right? You had the 12, the inner circle, and you had the 70. So they were very close with Jesus. Who knows how long they've been walking with him. And they're leaving Jerusalem because the last thing that they knew that happened was Jesus was crucified on a cross, right? And their whole worldview, their whole identity, everything that they had put their hopes and dream in was crushed and crucified. And so what did they do with their pain and their dejection? They ran away. They left Jerusalem. They went home. They packed their bags. 
and they went home. And what day did they go home? Easter day. Jesus is literally showing up to his disciples saying, I am risen. And these people are on their way home. How many of us have our dreams and hopes that look like they've been crushed and we're waiting and it's been three days and we're like, oh gosh, I just can't hold on hope anymore. I'm done. I'm dejected. I'm heartbroken. And we pack up and go home and Jesus is like, I'm coming. I'm here. I have the answer. I'm the God of resurrection. Who cares if your dreams were crucified? Now, I say all that to say, all of us can identify with these disciples. Whatever they were hoping for, however they thought it would happen, it didn't happen, and they're going to go back to their daily lives, and they're heartbroken. In that moment, while they were discussing together, verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is a really interesting scripture. I've heard several different people talk about why maybe they couldn't see Jesus. My proposal this morning is that when your heart is sick and broken, it's really hard to see the truth, even if it's staring you in the face. When your hope is deferred, what does it say in scripture? It makes your heart sick. It makes your heart blind as well. In fact, Shakespeare, of course, makes use of this in many of his romantic comedies, right? Where the person thinks that they've been completely rejected and somebody tries to explain to them, oh no, she's, she's really in love with this guy. She wrote this great love letter. And they're like, oh great, she's in love with somebody else. And, they, and then they say, no, it's you. And it's this eye-opening moment for the person who was lost and now is found, right? We know that this is true and it's in all of our stories, right? Somebody who has been heartbroken, who has lost hope, cannot see the goodness in the world. Their eyes have been cast down and they couldn't recognize Jesus. So that's my psychological interpretation. I don't know. There may be more spiritual things going on, but I think it takes very little to identify with these disciples who couldn't see the truth staring them in the face. But man, the grace of Jesus They're running from Jerusalem. They're dejected. They've given up hope. They don't recognize him. And yet Jesus walks with them. And Jesus is willing to engage with them in that place of brokenness and doubt. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad, which is just kind of a funny scripture. There's not a lot of descriptive words in scripture, but this is like one of the only times where it says, and how did they look? They looked sad. (laughs) Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Are you an idiot? Are you blind? How do you not know? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. That line is telling in my mind because they're basically like, We have this hope, and these awful people ruined it. It's really interesting to me, and maybe I'm reading even too much into it, but anytime our hope is deferred or we lose something, we're very quick to find who's to blame. Very quick. There's not a lot of talk about what God's doing in this situation, but there's a lot of talk about what those chief priests and rulers did. 
There's a lot of talk about how that company denied your claim or how that person, that boss fired you when you were supposed to be promoted or that thing. And we lose track of the fact that, like I said, it doesn't matter what we do. This world is God's world. Our lives are orchestrated by him, regardless of how we view the situation. So the chief priests, they delivered him to death. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hope. Augustine writes about this passage. Oh, you disciples, you had hope. Your hope has died. Don't you know your Savior is here? Your resurrected King is right with you. And you can hear in Augustine, he's wrestling with this because he's thinking about like, what a tragic moment. And the whole story kind of revolves on this thing. Like that could be the end for these disciples. Our, we had hoped. And so they keep explaining, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Let's take us back a few centuries here. What are they saying? They're saying those dumb women had some vision that that angels showed up and told them that he was alive, but we don't know what that means. That's really what's happening in this passage. They're blinded by the fact that women brought the message. That's pretty... Remarkable. Nowadays, we're like, oh my gosh, those awful people. But you got to understand the cultural context here. The Jewish law and the Roman law did not allow women to bring testimony in a trial case. They were second class citizens. They didn't have the bearer, they didn't bear the truth. They were flighty. They were described by all these things. They were dismissed. Why am I harping on this? I'm harping on this to say, Look at your own heart. Who do you dismiss as a possible bringer of the good news in your life? Who do you not listen to? Because, oh, that person, that group of people. Be careful. God might be talking to them for you. And furthermore, it's really fascinating that this early group of a splinter group within Judaism that started Christianity, they're willing to tell the story how it actually happened. These disciples look pretty dumb. And not only that, they're willing to say it was the women who Jesus entrusted with the message of his resurrection. Even though they knew everyone in that culture would dismiss the testimony of the women. There's something true about this. They're willing to tell the story even though it shows their misogyny, even though it shows their flaws, even though it shows that God did not... uh, God did not do it properly. He did not show up to the leaders, the men who could bring the testimony. He showed up to the women. You know, the only people who went to the tomb that morning, let me remark. So this is what happens to these people. They have all the data. In fact, if you read their paragraph summary, what did they say? Jesus died. He was going to be the redeemer of Israel. And the angel said he is risen. They have the Apostles' Creed in their complaint to Jesus. 
Buried in there is the core of our faith. Jesus went to the thing. He was rejected by the chief priests and rulers. He died to redeem Israel. And he was raised from the dead. They have all of the info. All of the data. But their hearts are sick. Their hearts are broken. The problem was that they had already figured out what all of this meant. Because of their sadness, because of their brokenness, because of this moment of hope deferred, this moment of uh, unbelievable tragedy, they decided, well, he must have just been one of those failed messiahs. I think we forget, too, sometimes that there were other people in the Jewish tradition who said, I'm the messiah, and then were killed by the Romans. So they said, well, he was just one of those. Jesus came and he had this project to save us and he failed. That's what they've decided. How often do we, in our own brokenness, our own hope, say, Jesus had this great project going for me and he failed me. Or I failed him. Don't you know that Jesus knew that you would fail before you failed? And he prepared a way before you for redemption, for healing, for hope. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. And I will argue there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the purposes of God in your life. You can make it really hard. You can choose the way of difficult brokenness. But God is near to you even then. These disciples are running from Jerusalem, from the purposes of God, from the resurrection. And Jesus comes alongside them. Now, He's also not the kind, merciful Jesus who comes and says, oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling downtrodden. What does he say to them after they say, we're heartbroken, our leader's been killed, everything's fallen apart? He says, oh, foolish ones, in verse 25, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know what I take from this passage? The path to intellectual belief is actually through your heart. The path to your belief is through your heart. Because what does he call them? He doesn't say slow of wit. He says slow of heart. It's not that you don't know. It's that you don't know in that biblical sense. It's that your heart has been kicked out of whack by this tragic situation. And you see this throughout, right? They're slow of heart. They did not see him. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And later on, what do they say when Jesus explains everything? Our hearts burned within us. There was a heart work that needed to happen. Now, he did explain throughout all of Scripture the truth intellectually interpretively, exegetically, he explained to them what everything meant, but it was the heart work that he was really doing. They're both essential, but the heart kept them from seeing. Okay. Why was it so hard? Let's just one more time emphasize how absurd God's plan was. I'm going to send my son. He's going to do miracles He's going to gather a following that want him to be the king of the world. And then I'm going to send him to be betrayed and crucified. Doesn't make any sense. In fact, I've been reading Aristotle lately. 
If you didn't know I was a dork yet, you know now. I've been reading Nicomachean Ethics, right? It's for a paper I got to write, and I'm reading through. Did you know one of Aristotle's virtues, and he was the chief moral philosopher of Jesus' day, one of his virtues is pride. Like, that's a good thing. Do you know what he means by pride? He means you are acting according to your station and your actions, and you get what you deserve. So if you're a noble man, you get noble things. If you're a wicked man, you get wicked things. What did Jesus do? He was a noble man. In fact, the noblest of all men. What was his lineage? Aristotle loves lineage, right? His lineage was the Son of God. There is no higher lineage. What did he get? What everybody else deserved. The cross. That's not Aristotle's virtue of pride. And let me tell you, the Romans have perfected Aristotle's virtue of pride. They may not have known the other ones, but they knew pride, let me tell you. They were always playing these games to make sure that they got what they wanted. And we see that even in the Jewish religious leaders. They're playing games to show that I am the first. I am the most preeminent. I am getting what I deserve. Imagine, it's hard for us because we've lived with this story for 2,000 years, and it's actually shaped the entire world in how we think. But imagine a culture that celebrates pride confronted with a Jesus, a king who dies on a cross. It's absurd. He failed at exactly the project he set out to accomplish, or so they would have thought. But then he talks through the scripture, and this one line stuck out to me. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary? And then he explains in scriptures how this all happens. And I know everyone in the world, you can leave that question up there. Everyone in the world who loves the Bible has thought about this passage and thought, man, if I could have been there with Jesus explaining throughout all scriptures who I am, like on the road to Emmaus, like our hearts, my heart will be burning you have this desire that you could have heard Jesus explain the scriptures and what it, is, what it says concerning himself. And today I want to tell you, guess what? You actually have this guy, the Holy Spirit, this entity that is here within you to explain in scripture the entirety of what it says concerning Jesus. If you are a Christian, God has not left you comfortlessness. Comfort? I don't know what word I was trying to say there. But God has not left you without a comforter, without an interpreter, without somebody who can help you understand the scriptures. So you can walk the road to Emmaus in your own life and see where God shows himself in the scriptures. You do have to open the book, though. You do have to actually get into the word. And you might want to ask him to be present when you do that. Let me rephrase. You should ask him to be present when you do that. And to help you understand. I'm going to take this one step further. If you have a heartbreaking situation in your life, something that you do not understand, maybe something that even now when you think of it, it brings tears to your eyes. I would ask that you bring that situation to God, just like these disciples did. They shared their hurt with Jesus, even though they didn't know it was him. And Jesus explained how it was necessary that he should suffer these things. He explained their hurt. He didn't take away their hurt. He showed, he opened up the perspective, God's perspective on their situation. And maybe there's situations where God might say, was it not necessary that Micah 
should suffer these things to enter into his glory. That Jeff should suffer these things. That Mrs. Oakey, going back to the old days, Mrs. Oakley Doakley should suffer these things and enter into glory. Was it not necessary that you experience this situation that I might bring you goodness, glory? Bring Jesus, the Holy Spirit within you, into your place of brokenness and ask him to help you understand. I'm not saying he's going to just make it all better. But I am saying they call the Holy Spirit the comforter for a reason. And I'd much rather view my situation from his perspective than from my heartsick perspective that we know can be so blind. Make sure you invite Jesus with you on your road to Emmaus. Let's continue. In verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much revelation you have, how much understanding you bring to your situation. If you don't ask Jesus to come in and be with you, you're still lost. Imagine a situation where these disciples just let Jesus keep going on his way. And they just talk to each other. Man, how interesting, that teacher that just walked by. They still didn't recognize him. They had all the answers. Their hearts were burning within them. And they didn't recognize them until they invited him to come in and dine with them. That's, the, that's our life. You can have all the answers, but until you invite Jesus into your heart to dine with you, you don't have anything. All right, so what happens then? When he sat at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? This is what we're doing today. We are opening the Scriptures to talk about Jesus. That's what we do when we sing these wonderful worship songs that declare the goodness of God. We take the scriptural truths and we put them into melody and we sing so that we might be formed by our praise and worship. So that our minds might be con contemplating Christ, that our hearts might burn within us. Then we read the scriptures and we listen and we hope that the Holy Spirit inspires us and our hearts burn within us. And then I get up here or Bishop or Father Powell and we open up the scriptures and hopefully your heart burns within you. But all of that is so that when we go to the breaking of the bread, you may know him in the breaking of the bread. Because let me tell you one thing, it doesn't matter how you feel, he is here. Doesn't matter what you believe, he is here. It doesn't matter what you're carrying, the healer is here. And when you kneel down, or now we, we walk through and you dip it in the cup, or you take the cup and you eat the bread, you are encountering the real presence of God. So, what do we learn from this concept? Well, I will just tell you one thing. When you come to church on Sunday mornings, when you come to any Eucharist service, ask God to open your heart and open your ears that your heart might burn within you, that you might be changed as you understand and hear his word. And then when you come to the Eucharist, take a moment, take a breath, 
and know that you're encountering the presence of God. We do this every week. And we get really good at that walk-by dip and I got it. We're good to go, right? Take a moment. Take a breath. I'm not saying that you have to do anything weird or wonky. Jesus is here whether you pay attention or not. But I am asking that you pay attention. Pay attention. He is here. And then at the end, I told you this whole sermon is really about them. What do they do? At that same hour, they rose and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were gathered with them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. Then they told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. There's this philosopher, theologian, who says, What happened when Jesus disappeared after they knew him in the breaking of the bread? And he said he disappeared into the mission of the church, into the body of the church, who would then go out and be Jesus, an image of Christ to the world. They were activated in that moment to go share the good news. And then as we go through this Easter, we remark on the beauty of the resurrection. We're heading towards Pentecost. I love the liturgical season because there's always the next thing that God's leading us towards. And we're heading towards Pentecost where these same people get empowered by the Holy Spirit to change the entire world. I was driving through somewhere the other day and it was like church block, church block, church Every one of those is because of these guys, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, who found Jesus in the breaking of the bread. What could happen if you were activated in the same way? If you knew him in the breaking of the bread and were empowered by his Holy Spirit to bring the good news to those who are lost and dying in the world? I know my life's been changed. I want theirs to be changed too. Amen? Let's end with prayer. Lord, I just pray once again that you would open our eyes to see how you're moving in our midst, that you'd set our hearts ablaze, that we might burn for you, and that you'd make yourself known to us in the breaking of the bread as we join you in this Eucharistic table. Jesus' name, amen. For our faith, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of life, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified for us on Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who together with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we have heard the Lord. Now let us confidently entrust our needs to Him. That the patriarch, all bishops, priests, and deacons will live holy lives, pleasing to the Lord, and be living examples for His people. Lord, in Your mercy. That the Holy Spirit will empower those who preach the gospel and convert the hearts of those who hear the message. Lord, in your mercy, that nations will put aside their differences and seek lasting peace. Lord, in your mercy, that loved ones who have wandered from the faith will repent and return to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, that those who await the outcome of health tests will be comforted and reassured of God's presence with them. Lord, in your mercy. That we will see Jesus in the poor, the prisoner, the addicted, and the marginalized. Lord, in your mercy. That we will recognize Christ's presence among us in the breaking of the Eucharistic bread. Lord, in your mercy. For our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. to grace to pursue holiness for you are holy we ask this through christ our lord amen peace the lord be always with you so as we prepare to celebrate <laughs> the mystery of christ's love let us acknowledge our sins and ask the lord for pardon and strength Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what I have done and by what I have left undone, I have not loved you with my whole heart, and I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. The peace of the Lord now always be with you. Amen. I have announcements somewhere. Right here. <laughs> and right up here, somewhere, we should see announcements. Ladies, of course, this is, this is your time. We have a ladies' meeting coming up on May 6th. And uh, the ladies' retreat in just a few weeks. So get ready for that. Set those times. Get your money in if you're coming to that retreat, ladies. And uh, the, the big news is we're adding 
uh, we're having another fire night. So May 3rd, Wednesday. Am I right? Wednesday? All right. So you will want to be there. Very powerful, uh, moving night of worship and prayer. You will want to mark that on your calendar and be here. Amen. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. We praise you with a greater joy than ever in this Easter season when Christ became our paschal sacrifice. He's the true Lamb who took away the sins of the world, and by dying, he destroyed death. By rising, he restored our life. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory. And we join in their unending hymn of praise. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise, and he gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. <coughs> In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and of all the clergy. 
Remember, especially those who are sick and firmed in spirit, soul, or body. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed and become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, for me. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the peace. Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who invited to the supper. Becomes my greatest defense. 
Hey, listen. Jeff Oakey is uh, going to Africa. Great adventure. Always a great adventure. Not his first time. Not your first time, is it? It is your first time? Oh, boy. Well, listen, we want to go with him. He's part of us. So I want you to just reach out your hand, and Eddie, you go across the aisle there and lay hands on him. Those of you around him, just lay your hands on him. He goes with us. We're all one in the Eucharist. That's what we just studied in the message. And so we want to go with him. It's your opportunity. You've never been to Africa? Go with him. He's going for no other reason but to minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set those people free. Lord, we just ask you to watch over them. We ask for safety in his travel and those he goes with. We ask for a special, special layer of anointing, Lord, that when he touches those people, they'll be touched and healed. Set free, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go get him, Jeff. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and sickness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Don't you worry either. He's going to be fine. St. <laughs> Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. O God, rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against him. Because he loves us, he's forgiven us, he's not mad at us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. And praise becomes my breakthrough. This song becomes my triumph, and worship is my warfare. Our victory is in you. Yes, victory is in you. And praise becomes my breakthrough. This song becomes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the risen Christ. Thanks be to God.
Jerusalem.